Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. Our text today is from Luke chapter 15, and we'll be uh, really focusing on the third of the parables that uh, Jesus offers here. And so I want to read from Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip over to verse 11 and read the rest of the chapter. I hope you have your Bible in front of you uh, at, at, your, at your home. It might be whatever translation you have on the coffee table or whatever you pull up on the phone. That's fine. Read along with me if you would. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became, became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, 
for so many years, yours, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that I have is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Stories have great power. Could I ask you in the moment to think what your favorite story might be? I gave a little consideration, and I think probably one of my favorite stories is a story that I share often at Christmas time. It's called Barrington Bunny. It's a story that for a good number of years now I've been able to share with congregations that I've served in the Lord. Uh, and it, it just, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful story that, uh, that with conviction and endearment conveys the story of Christmas from a Christ-like perspective. It's quite unforgettable. If we were to get together and to share with one another the stories that we have come to that have come to be our favorites, my guess is that many of those stories would be favorites of ours, not just because of their entertainment value, but because they have power to convey something that has deep meaning. And that's so true with many of the stories that Jesus shared. And all through the centuries of Christendom, this story that we've shared, the story that has come to be known as that of the prodigal son, may stand right at the top of being able to convey the power of God's love, the power of forgiveness and mercy as it's extended to us. We look at these sons and we look at the father, um, and for, for some time now I have come to see that throughout this parable throughout this story there is the uh, the presence of prodigality that word doesn't really roll very easily off off the tongue we call it and have traditionally called this the story of the prodigal son but there's prodigalness not only in the younger son there's definitely prodigalness in the father and i would even contend in the older son i would invite you sometime not right now but maybe when we're done here, uh, maybe this week as you think about it, go to a dictionary and look up the word prodigal. You're going to find that it's nuanced, and it's more than just how we usually think of it that's embodied in the younger son in this parable. There, there's some nuance to it. That it's, it means wasteful. It can mean extravagantly generous. And so we see kind of some, some prodigalness throughout this parable. Um, this story was told in the context of Jesus who makes his habit of reaching out to people, drawing them back to God, especially those who were marginalized, who probably thought that God didn't want anything to do with them. These are the people Jesus likes to hang out with. And then there are the people who look down on him because of it. 
and they scorn him. They say, I can't believe that, look who he's having dinner with. Look who he's hanging out with. Harlots and tax gatherers and sinners, these people who, I mean, God wouldn't want to spend time with them. Why is this rabbi going and hanging out with people like this? And so Jesus starts to tell these parables in order to illustrate where God's heart is and to invite us to, to check whether or not we resonate with that heart of God. The story begins with this younger son of this, this father. And he comes and he says to father, I want my share of the inheritance. In other words, he lays claim to something that he knows is there, and he says, I have a right to it, and I want to take it with me. And so after receiving his part of the inheritance, he, he leaves and he runs away from the Father. The text doesn't say he runs, but in essence, that, that's where his attitude is. He can't wait to get away from the Father. And he, he leaves the Father, he goes off into a far and distant land, where he takes all of the wealth that he has taken with him and he squanders it. He, he is prodigal in the sense that he takes that which was valuable, counts it as if it's worth very little, and spends it so that he might gain the pleasure that the world has to offer him in that moment. In other words, it's all about me, and it's all about right now. He knows that he has a father, but the values of the father are a distant memory. The riches that he got from the father were nothing more valuable to him than to take into the world and see how he could barter it away for the pleasures of the moment. It's a powerful scene, and honestly, it describes where some people have been. Willing to leave the Father full speed ahead. Willing to say that I'll take all the things that I've gained from it, but they are of no more account to me anymore than to see how I can leave it behind and gain the world. It is prodigalness at its best. So he goes off into the land, he, he squanders his wealth, as I was reading this and considering the, the parables, something struck me. I don't want to pursue this very far because we could really chase this trail and, and unpack the, the nuances of God's, uh, uh, God's presence and the theology, and so I don't want to chase this very far, but I do want to just notice that from this parable of the prodigal compared to the first two that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, there's a, there's a difference here. If you'll remember, Jesus starts off with shorter parables. There's a man who had a hundred sheep, and one of them becomes lost, and so the man goes off, and he finds the one that was lost, and he brings it home. There's a woman who has ten coins, and she loses one in her house, and so she lights a lamp and sweeps the house until she finds the coin. In both of those parables, there is a search initiated. The man leaves the one, goes and finds the lost sheep. The woman lights a lamp, and she looks for the coin. But in the parable of the prodigal, notice what the father does not do. He does not gather a search party, although he could have. This father is a father of means. There, there are plenty of resources at his disposal. He, he could have waited a few days and said, that's it. I am not satisfied with this son not being home. 
I'm going to gather people together and we're going to go and we're going to find my son and we're going to bring him home. But the father does not do that. The father is content to allow the son to come to his own realization of his longing for the father. I think there's something powerful in that. Of God allowing our own need to be awakened within us. During the devotional readings of this past week, um, the writer shared something that really resonated with me, made me kind of introspect a little bit. He, he made a comment in his devotional writing that, and he talked about uh, wealth our, our, and our health and our security and our privilege and, and, and all the things like this have a way of insulating us from staying in touch with our need for God. And as I thought about that, I thought how true that is for me. Now, I'm not a person of great wealth and you know, moderate health, you know, I, but if I look at my own life, I realize that it's very easy for me to get up in the morning, start my day, and the security that I have is plenty to insulate me from being keenly aware that I need God. I need God. I need Him desperately. But how easy it is for me to lose touch with that need. Sometimes things in life jolt us awake to that. Maybe coronavirus does that for us in one way or another. Kind of opens our eyes to the fact that we need God present with us. For those of you who are old enough to remember 2001, there was a time nationally when we had our eyes opened, when the terrorists attacked and, and the, the World Trade Center fell and, and the Pentagon had a plane flown into it. I mean, there was a time when nationally our eyes were open and all of a sudden there was this awareness of our need for God. That, that event happened on a Tuesday. Wednesday night prayer meetings were packed out. Sunday worship services that week were packed out. And it stayed that way for a while. And then things kind of went back to the way they had been. We have a desperate need for God, but how easily it is to lose touch with that. And it's a powerful thing in this that this son was allowed by his father to come to his own awareness. Now before I go on, I want to comment about this. I think that the younger son in this parable may for many of us be hard to identify with. Because we have not seen ourselves as people who have intentionally turned our back and fled as fast as we could away from the Father. For many more of us, it's been more of a slow drift. Picture, if you would, that you have a boat. Jeff, that's true for you. If you had a boat and you had it up on Lake Tawakani and you were going to get out of the boat and leave it for some time, maybe overnight or for however many days that you were going to leave it, and providing that you weren't going to put it on the boat trailer and haul it back to your house, what would you do? You would tie it up, wouldn't you? 
you would secure it. You would pull it into a boat slip somewhere. You would pull it into the marina. You would tie it up. Or at the very least, you'd bring it to shore and, and you'd tie it to something secure so that when you decided to go back, it would be there, right? If you didn't secure the boat in some way, do you know what would be very likely to happen to it? Given enough time, that boat would not be there. It would, because of the gentle currents that are present in the lake, because of the winds that come one way or another, that boat would be somewhere off in the middle of the lake, maybe even over on the far shore somewhere. Now there's a very, there, there's a distinct difference between getting in a boat and starting the motor and driving it away from shore or just untying it and letting it drift. But given enough time, the result is the same. It leaves the shore. And for many of us, we would find ourselves in the same place as the younger son. Waking up one day, realizing that we have gone far from the Father. We have not despised his wealth, but we've allowed ourselves to be removed from it. We find ourselves living in a place that God's blessings are something of a memory. In verse 17 of the text, Jesus says, but when he came to his senses. Isn't that a powerful statement? When he came to his senses. Have you ever been asleep somewhere and you were so sound asleep that when you woke up, you were disoriented? Maybe you didn't know what time of day it was. Maybe you didn't even remember where you were. <laughs> I've had it happen to me. You wake up and you go, oh my gosh, I, I mean, it's like, where am I? What happened? Where did I leave off? What time of day it is? I just, it, 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 it takes a moment to get your bearings back. But eventually you do. And that's what happened to this younger son. He got to that moment when he came to his senses and he said, oh my gosh, how good it is in my father's house. He realized that it was so good that it would be better to be a servant in the Father's house than to be anywhere else. Definitely in his circumstances. And so he makes a plan to go back. Well, as the parable goes on, the son goes back to the father. And the father welcomes him in. I want to say more about that, but I want to put that on hold for a moment. So the parable of the prodigal son. Let's not overlook the fact that this is a parable about two sons, two children. It could have been a parable about one, but Jesus said there were two. The younger son comes back, the father throws a party. The older son hears about it, says, what's going on? One of his hired hands says, hey, your brother's home. Your father's said, kill the fattened calf and throw a party, we're all getting together, the music started, the feast is on, come on in. But you see, the older son, in my opinion, was prodigal in his own way. 
here's how I see it. Here you have a son who got up every morning in his father's house. He lived every day in the presence of his father. He saw every day how his father operated. He could see his father's values on display all the time. He went to bed every night and put his head on a pillow in his father's house. And yet his actions and his attitude reveal that he was so far from the father. All of the riches, all of the mercy, all of the heart of the father meant nothing to him. Think of it this way. Have you ever purchased something from the grocery store, put it in your refrigerator, put it on the shelf in your pantry, and left it there for so long that you had to throw it out? Tell me that's happened to somebody else. It might have been something. Most food is perishable to some degree. So whether you put it in your pantry or put it in the refrigerator, if you leave it there long enough, you're going to find that it becomes unedible. You ever done that? You put it, oh man, I forgot I bought that. Look at the date and go, whoa, man, that's way past. What do you do with it? Toss it out. You see, you, you took your wealth, you exchanged it for something for, for the benefit that you might get out of it, but you never got the benefit. You just had to throw it away. It's something of a picture that I see in this older son. It's like every, every, every day the father got up and, and in one way or another offered, here's a platter of blessings, the riches of being in the father's house to that older son. And it's like the son just went, oh, I'll put it on the shelf. And the next day, he says, oh, I'll put it on the shelf. And the next day, he said, oh, I'll put it on the shelf. And all of those blessings, all of the heart stayed on the shelf. And he never, ever reached for it. He just didn't know the blessing of being in the Father's house. And that's why in this moment that his heart couldn't re resonate with the father. His, his life was really no better off than his younger brother. Both of them lost touch with the riches of the father. Only one of them realized it. And so here he is, unable to go in. He just can't go and join in the Father's blessing. And the Father even went out and talked to him, and, and, and the guy says, I, I can't believe this. Here I am, I'm serving you every day, and, and, and yet you don't, you don't throw a party for me, you don't give your wealth to me that, that I can make merry with my friends. And, and the Father says to him in verse 31, My child, you're, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It's like he's saying, why, why have you been living like a servant instead of a son? Why have you been living as if the riches of my kingdom 
are not at your disposal. It's a tale of two sons. The question for us is, which one are we more like? Some of us may feel like we're like the, the younger son. Oh, maybe we didn't turn and run from God. But we sure let our lives drift from it. Maybe this is the day that we realize that the Father is looking for us to come home. He wants us home. Or maybe we're like the ones, like the older brother. We're close, we're here, we're here all the time, and yet we really don't have much of a sense of the riches of God's blessing being upon us. Last week in our small group material, the, the, the uh, uh, teacher or the writer of this material uh, made a comment and he phrased our lives as one as if we have become masters of the motions and yet distanced from the movement of Jesus. And, and we mentioned that last week in the message. The movement of Jesus is a movement of the kingdom. It's, it's a movement that takes the gospel, the good news, the message of God's love and mercy out to the world and says, God wants you to be drawn into this, this richness. And, and so often it's so easy for us to be people who go through the motions all the time of praying and reading and, and showing up for church gatherings, and, and yet we can't get our heart resonating with God. It's like we're, we're living as paupers in the midst of God's riches. And to both of the sons, God says, come home. I want you to come home. <sighs> If you're following along with the devotions, you probably would have already read this morning that the devotion for the day, and this is the text. I knew I was going to be preaching on Luke 15, and so I kind of already laid out the sermon, but it wasn't until yesterday that I actually looked a day forward to see what the devotional reading was going to be. And after I read it, I commented to Renee, I said, you know what, in two minutes of reading, he just preached my sermon. It's like right there. I guess I could have saved you all some time, couldn't I? I? I do want to share, and some of you have already read this, but um, this is how J.D. Walt, who wrote the devotions, kind of phrased this. and He compares the two sons, son number one being the younger son and son number two being the older son. And I just love the way he put it. Son number one knew he was a son, though he lived in a far-off country. Son number two had forgotten he was a son, though he lived in his father's house. Son number one knew he needed mercy. Son number two felt he deserved a celebration. He knew nothing about mercy. Son number one was willing to forfeit his sonship in order to be a servant. Son number two actually did forfeit his sonship in order to be a servant. I probably would have phrased that. Son number two forfeited the benefit of his sonship and became like a servant. Son number one imag never imagined getting a celebration. Son number two could not bring himself to go to the party. The father had two sons. 
We only know of one who went to the party. It was the one who understood his need for mercy. Now what we haven't said anything about is the prodigalness of the father. Here he is, breaking all the social norms in order to demonstrate the love and the longing that the father has for the children. Could I go back for a moment to just remind you of this? The younger son has his speech already prepared. He's coming up the driveway. You just picture him coming up that long country road. You know, that's how we would envision it in East Texas, right? The, the, the long road that leads to town. Here comes the son. He's walking up that country road. The, his, the homestead is just up ahead. He's rehearsing in his, thought, you know, his mind, I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll just take me in as a servant. I've sinned against you. You know, he's got it going in his head. And the father looks out, and he looks down the road, and he sees the glimpse, and there is, there's his son coming up. And he, he runs. It says the father saw him far off, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him. No father would have done that because of the social norms. The father would not have run. But this father cares not for the social norms. He runs and embraces him and kisses him. This is the picture of the longing of the father for the son. And it's a powerful, powerful image. And I hope you embrace it today. This story has radically touched the lives of people for generations and generations. One of those people is a, a very well-known spiritual writer by the name of Henry Nouwen. Uh, Henry Nouwen uh, tells of his own journey and how he was moved by Rembrandt's portrait of the return of the prodigal son. He actually saw it, a, a replica of it, hanging in, a, in, a, in a, uh, the office of one of his associates, and that was his first sight of it, and really became kind of obsessed about it until he eventually got to see the original hanging in St. Petersburg, Russia. He even wrote a book uh, kind of unpacking all of the, the, this parable in his own journey. It's called uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son, A Story of Homecoming. And he shares a little bit in that story, and I just want to share with you the words of Henry Nouwen, where he says, quote, For most of my life I have struggled to find God, to know God, and to love God. I have tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. End quote.
Now, friends, to be sure, God has not misplaced you like a woman would misplace a coin in her house. But the powerful point that Henry Nouwen makes is this, that the greater longing does not belong to us. The greater longing is not our longing for God, however great it might be. The greater longing is God's longing for us. And if we will open ourselves to be known by God and to be loved by God, we open ourselves to know the fullness of the blessings of His kingdom. And we will not live as prodigal children. And I want to say to every one of you, God's heart longs for you today. And if you will take one step toward Him, you will find that the Father is running toward you. Let's pray. Father, it is amazing as we see your heart disclosed in this parable that Jesus shared with us. It's incredible that you have such a longing for us. Whether we have been um, following by staying close, or whether we have let ourselves drift from you, and perhaps even if we have run from you before, how powerful it is to know the depth of your love and the longing that you have to bring us home. And so for the ways and for the extent that we have distanced ourselves from you, bring us home today. Hear the cries of our hearts. Make us to know the joy of knowing that we are your children, your beloved children. We know that you accomplish that through the grace that is found in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We are glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can watch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.